Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. As we continue our series on the book of Revelation, here's John with the second part of his message, Why is the Devil So Angry? Well, the book of Revelation is one of the most fascinating books in all the Bible, and we have been studying through this methodically week by week in our church. And on today's program, we're going to be listening to a sermon from Revelation chapter 12, which is one of the most interesting chapters in the whole book. And in this chapter, we read a lot of things about the devil and about the devil's anger and his hatred towards God and towards the people of God, and towards everything associated with God. And and you might be wondering, well, why is the devil so angry? Well, I think there are several reasons for that. And if you'll just think about this, I think it'll make sense. The first reason that devil is so angry is that he is jealous of God. If you'll remember, before the devil became the devil, he was actually an angel in heaven. His name was Lucifer. He was perfect in all of his ways. He was a beautiful angel. And yet, as the angel Lucifer was in heaven and he was watching God being worshipped day by day by the other angels, he began to be envious and jealous of God. And he wanted to be God. And he he really rebelled against God. His pride uh, demanded that he be elevated to the position of God. And as a result of that, uh, Lucifer was cast out of heaven And he became the devil, and he took a third of the angels with him. Think about that. A third of the angels fell from heaven. These are the demons today that are causing so many problems on the earth. But one of the reasons that the devil is so angry is because he's jealous of God, and he's always been jealous of God. And not only that, as I said, he has been cast out of heaven, and so he's lost his home in heaven. Can you imagine what it must be like for the devil to have lived for many, we don't even know how many years, but for many, many, many years in heaven, and now to have lost heaven as his home. He's been uh, kicked out. And so that makes him angry. He's lost what he had. And another reason the devil is so angry is because when he thinks about his future, he knows that in his future, there will be a thousand years in a bottomless pit followed by an eternity in hell. Now, how would you handle that if that's what was in your future? If you knew that one day you would be cast into a bottomless pit and you would just free fall for a thousand years, and then at the end of that time, God would get you out of the pit and then sentence you to hell where you would be tormented, the Bible says, day and night forever. That would make any of us afraid, and it's made the devil afraid. And the reason the devil tries to inflict so much fear on us is because he himself is afraid. The old saying, misery loves company, is certainly true of the devil. And so he is afraid, and he tries to make us afraid. And as I said, that anger has caused him to hate God, to hate the people of God, and even to hate the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel is the nation from which Jesus Christ came into this earth. And so as we start the sermon today, we're going to pick up there thinking about the devil's hatred of the nation of Israel, and then we'll see how God can give us the victory over this angry, evil enemy, the devil, that we have. 
Satan hates Israel. Why? The first reason that Satan tried to destroy Israel long before Jesus was born is that he was trying to prevent the birth of Jesus Christ. The devil knew that if he could destroy Israel, then Jesus would never be born. And if Jesus would never be born, he knew that Jesus would never ultimately defeat him. And so Satan did everything he could to prevent Jesus from being born. He was unsuccessful. Jesus was born. But what did Satan do as soon as Jesus was born? Satan said to himself, okay, the Messiah has been born. I was unable to destroy Israel. And so now what I'll have to do is destroy this baby boy. And so what did the devil do? He inspired and he motivated Herod to have all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, and in the whole surrounding region, not just Bethlehem, but in the districts around uh, Bethlehem, to have all those baby boys killed. Why was he doing that? Because he was trying to kill Jesus. And so the attack against Israel and the attack against Jesus, motivated by Satan, comes because of his hatred for God and his hatred toward everything associated with God. And even today, what do we see? We see the devil trying to do everything he can, motivating other leaders, even motivating other nations to destroy the nation of Israel. It is all satanically inspired. And we live in the, in the world we live in today, we do see, on the part of many, we see a hatred for Israel, and we do see a hatred for Jesus Christ, and it is all motivated by Satan. And so the first war that we read about in Revelation chapter 12 is a war that has taken place and that is taking place on the earth. The second war we read about in Revelation chapter 12 is a war that will one day take place in heaven. Hasn't taken place yet, but one day it will. Look in verse number 7 of Revelation 12. And war broke out in heaven. Now, keep in mind, when we're reading this book, John is talking to us. He's seeing things that will one day happen in the future, but he's writing about them in the past tense. And so just because it's in the past tense, that doesn't mean it's happened yet. It just means that when John, John has already seen a vision of this, and he's writing in the past tense. But this is a future event. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And so now you have Michael, the archangel. If you want to talk about who is the equal of the devil, you could say Michael. They would be on the same wave, good versus evil. But you can't say that the devil and God are equals because they're not. But so now you have in heaven, or one day you will, Michael and the holy angels fighting against the devil and the fallen angels. Verse 8, but they did not prevail. Literally, they were not strong enough. That is, the devil and his angels were not strong enough to defeat Michael and the holy angels. I've already told you one of the reasons why. Because there are two holy angels for every fallen angel. And so now they've waged a war that they can't win. They did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. The name devil means slanderer. The name Satan means adversary, same person, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You say, wait a second, John. You said this is a future event. Hasn't happened yet. Now we're reading about the devil being cast out of heaven. But you also said that the devil has already been cast out of heaven. And we read about it in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, which is true. Both are true. A long, 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 long time ago... 
what we would call Old Testament times, the devil was cast out of heaven. He lost his home in heaven. And a third of the angels lost their home in heaven too. But even to this day, the devil has access to heaven. Did you know that? Even today when you sin, the devil can go to heaven. He doesn't live there anymore, but he has access to heaven. And he can say to God, and he does say to God, and when I sin, the devil goes to God, and the devil says to God, God, did you see what John Redmond just did? Did you hear what he just said? Did you see what he just thought? And there he is preaching looking all high and mighty and holy and godly, and look at what sin he's committed, and look at how he's fallen, look at how he's messed up, and look at what he's done wrong. And Jesus Christ in that moment stands up and says to the Father, Father, he's right. John has sinned. He said something he shouldn't have said. He's done something he shouldn't have done. But Father, I want to show you my nail-pierced hand. I have already paid for that sin to be forgiven. And that's what's happening in heaven today. He is the accuser of the brethren. And every time we sin, not only does he accuse us, make us feel hypocritical, rotten, dirty, nasty, and all that, he accuses us before God because he still has access to heaven. You say, John, is there a passage in Scripture that would teach us that the devil still has access to heaven today? Yes, there are more than one, but the most familiar would be in the book of Job where one day God was looking down on his creation and the devil presented himself and came to God in heaven. He just showed up. And God said, where have you come from? And the devil said, I've been roaming around on the earth. And God said to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And they had this conversation. But the point is, even today, the devil has access to heaven. But there's coming a day when he will lose that access. And it's going to happen in the future event. It's going to happen during the great tribulation. At the midpoint, three and a half years into the tribulation, God will completely cut the devil off. No more access to heaven. What does that mean? It means that all of that anger will now be poured out on the earth in a, in a way that it has never been poured out yet because the devil will no longer be able to go to heaven and accuse us before God. He will just pour out his anger on those who are living on the earth at that time. It is a horrible thing. Let's read on, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Now watch this. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, I had planned on at the end of the sermon coming back and really emphasizing how this group of people living at this time will defeat the devil. And uh, I can tell by looking up there at the clock, we're never going to get to it. Don't you think, talking about not inspired by God, don't you agree the clock is not inspired by God? I think somebody's behind that clock making it go fast. And so I can tell we're going to have to come back. My dad's preaching next Sunday morning, but we'll come back two weeks from today and we'll do a whole sermon on how we can have victory over the devil. Because think about this. You still listen? Say amen. Amen. We're reading now about a group of people who will be living during the tribulation when the full wrath of the enemy will poured out on the earth, and yet they found a way to be victorious, which says to me that if they can be victorious then, that we can be victorious now. And it has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we'll come back. I don't, it's too important for us to rush through it. But let's keep reading. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come to you. 
having great wrath. Now watch this. Because he knows that his time is short. See, the devil knows that his days are numbered. His time is short. The bottomless pit's not far away. And eternity in hell is not far away. He knows that. And it makes him angry. It makes him afraid. And he takes that anger out on us. But what we're thinking about here is the second war in Revelation chapter 12. And it is a war that will one day take place in heaven where the devil and his angels will wage war against Michael and the holy angels. Michael and his crew will win, and the devil and his crew will forever be banned from God's presence in heaven. Now, beginning in verse 13, we read about a third war that will one day happen back on the earth after the devil has been kicked out, banned forever from heaven. Now, three and a half years into the tribulation, with three and a half to go, he's pouring out his wrath on the earth, and this is a fascinating thing. Let's begin reading in verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now, we know this is how we know the woman's not Mary. Because now the devil is on the earth and he's persecuting the woman. Well, by this time, I mean, Mary's in heaven. So the woman is clearly a reference to Israel. And so now he's persecuting the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, that is just a different way of saying for three and a half years, for three and a half years. The time there is a reference to, uh, to a year. And so you, add, you do that math and it comes up to three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, after Israel, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now this, you know, the devil can work wonders and signs. He has powers. And so maybe this will be a literal flood. Maybe we're talking about literal water here. Maybe we're talking about a satanic army who have now turned against the nation of Israel. Remember now, I'm going to repeat this. Satan is banned from heaven. He can only be on the earth. Now he's pouring out his wrath on the woman, on Israel, in a way he has never done it before. And maybe this is literal water. Maybe this is army. Either way, it's an attempt to destroy Israel. But look in verse 16. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So I tend to think this is literal flood water. And what's happening here, when the earth opens its mouth, maybe as a result of one of the earthquakes that will be happening, the earth will take in the water, and the water will not be able to kill Israel. Verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, enraged with Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so it's very important that we understand at this point in the tribulation, like rage, anger, and wrath, like unto which we have never seen, the world has never seen, the devil is now unloading that on the nation of Israel and he's trying to kill them. But they go back to verse 6 of this chapter because I, I left this out and saved it for here. Because in verse 6 we read a very descriptive thing. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,200 and 
60 days. That's just another way of saying three and a half years. So at the midpoint of the tribulation, when the devil does everything he can to destroy Israel, what does Israel do? Israel goes to the wilderness, to a place that God has prepared for her to be safe and to be protected. Now, the question is, where's the wilderness? Where is this place? Well, we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't tell us. It just says the wilderness. But there are many scholars who believe that the wilderness, this place being referred to, is a place in Jordan, not far from Amman, Jordan, called Petra, P-E-T-R-A, Petra. And on one of our trips to Israel, in fact, I've been to Israel seven times, but only on one of our trips have we ever been to Petra. We went there in 2010. It's quite a distance by bus, several hours to get there. It's a lot of work. It's one of those places I'm glad I went once, but I don't think I would ever want to go again. But it's a fascinating place. But it is a place, in fact, if you remember the movie uh, Indiana Jones, well, it was filmed in Petra. And so I want to show you three pictures of Petra and show you what this, the significance of this is. The first picture shows us the narrow entrance into Petra. And so the word Petra means rock. And so what, to get down into the heart of Petra, and if you watch that movie, you remember so much of that being filmed on the inside, you have to walk a very narrow path between those two rocks. Now, you don't have to walk single file. You could get three or four people, and three or four of you could go down it together. Maybe three would be more comfortable. But the point is, if this is indeed the place God has prepared for Israel, and if it is an army that is pursuing the Jewish people into the wilderness, you can see that the army would be unsuccessful trying to pursue the Jews into that place because they would be running into that, their place of hiding two or three at a time, and an army could not pursue them like that. And the Jews will have gotten into that place before the army would have ever gotten to it. And so what could they do? They could stand at the inside and they could just pick their uh, enemy apart and, fire and shoot them down because an army would be very limited if it's having to come in two or three people at a time. So once the Jews get into that place, they would be perfectly safe. Now the second picture kind of gives us a little different perspective of, uh, of that. Now we're getting closer to the inside of uh, Petra. And then the third picture shows you how when you are in it, when you're into the place at the bottom, it just opens up. And so if this is the place that God has prepared in the wilderness for his people, it certainly makes sense how he's fixed a place where they could get in and be safe. And once there, no army in the world could ever get to them because they would pick them off with their weapons and they would be absolutely safe. And so Petra, I believe that's probably the place, but if it's not there, it's somewhere similar to that. But it's the place that God has prepared for them. Now let's go on in our outline. I'm not going to be able to finish it, but I will do answer one other question. How can we be victorious over the devil? And I want to come back in two weeks and go back to that part about the blood of Jesus because we'll just do a whole sermon on the blood then. But how can we be victorious over the devil today in light of everything we've looked at from Revelation chapter 12? And we'll just answer the first of those, but write this down. By trusting in the protection and provision of Almighty God. You see, the thing about Petra that is so significant that place has already been prepared by God. Think about this. Before the Jews even need to go to that place, 
God has already prepared that place for them to go to. Which says to me that, remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said, how many of you are having a problem of some kind right now? Most everybody, John, I'm having a problem. Yes, I'm having a problem. Here's what Petra says to me. Petra says to me that before you ever had your problem, God already had a solution. And so what we want to do is trust him and say, God, this problem kind of caught me blindsided, but it didn't catch you blindsided. Before I had a problem, you had a solution. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing the sovereignty of God. We're seeing the power of God here at work. Go back to chapter 11 and verse 15. I do want to read this short passage before we close out today because uh, it teaches us about the sovereignty of God. And it says, then the seventh angel sounded. Now, this is the seventh trumpet judgment. And, and it, it is the prelude to everything we've studied today. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat down before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. In other words, God's going to take care of those of us who belong to Him, and God's going to deal with those who have treated us wrongly. Verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. So that is a prelude to everything we have read today. How can we have victory, uh, be victorious over the devil? Let me go ahead and give you the other two answers. I can't expand them today. I'll expand them later. Number two, trust in the sufficiency of the blood can't wait to come back and do a whole sermon on the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, let me say this to you, friend. The blood of Jesus Christ is your defense and it is your security against the accusations, against the attacks, and against those times when the devil makes you afraid. And then you declare your faith in your heart and you declare it out loud. Again in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Wish I had time to go off on all that today. But suffice it to say, when we're attacked by the devil, when we're oppressed by the devil, when we're accused by the devil, or when the devil makes us afraid, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, our faith in his blood, our confession of our faith in his blood that gives us victory over our enemy, over the devil. Well, I love that verse that says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And you know, even today for us, the only way we can have victory over the devil is by trusting the blood of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. And we begin by trusting the blood of Jesus to forgive our sins and to wash them all away. And let me ask you today, what is it that you're trusting to make you right with God? Are you trusting your good life? I hope not because the Bible says there's none who is righteous. No, not one. None of us is good. We've all sinned. Are you trusting your church membership? That's not going to do you any good on the day of judgment. Are you trusting the fact that you've been baptized? Friend, baptism is important, but it cannot wash our sins away. Only the blood of Jesus can wash our sins away. And so if you have never placed your faith in his blood, do that now. I encourage you to do that now. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus... Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. 
I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Lord, I trust you. I trust the blood of Jesus Christ to wash my sins away. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. And friend, if you have prayed that prayer, and if you're truly trusting the blood of Jesus Christ to save you, you are saved. And I just encourage you to share that decision with somebody even today. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message, Why is the Devil So Angry? Part 2 and Part 1, along with many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for spending some time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.